Well, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us at Church Online. My name is Christian, and we're going to get ready to receive the tithes and offerings tonight. You know, growing up, I always heard that phrase that comes out of 2 Corinthians 6-9 about the heart of a cheerful giver. And I always wanted to understand how to get that heart. And as a kid, I never really got it because, you know, giving was always a little bit hard. And I always wanted to know, okay, how do I get that heart of a cheerful giver? And as I became older and as I learned more about the word, I realized that that heart of a cheerful giver comes with the perspective of what God is doing with that. See, that heart of a cheerful giver comes when we, when we realize that what we give to the Lord, He takes and furthers His kingdom. See, we partner with Him and become a part of a grander plan than any of us could ever realize. And that's how we can find that heart of a cheerful giver. Not in looking what we've lost, but looking at how the Lord will take what we gave Him and gain other souls. With that being said, let's bow our heads and let's pray over the offering. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray and I thank you so much for being a faithful God to us, Lord. I just pray over this tithe and offering that you would take it and that you'd use it to further your kingdom in the ways that only you know how to. Lord, I pray over the hearts of the givers that they may be cheerful. And Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. He first challenges the Galatians with his summary of the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the Spirit. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the book of Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter or James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all of these non-Jewish Christians, and he was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. 
And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah observant, it's wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel. Or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. And we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, it's a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It's when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They're forgiven, they're given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. And it's Paul's conviction that no one can be justified by observing the commands of the Torah, but only by the faith of Jesus. This is a dense phrase, and it could refer to Jesus' own faithfulness in living and dying on our behalf, or it could refer to our own trust and devotion to Jesus. Either way, the point is clear. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. At the heart of Paul's gospel is this claim that when people trust in the Messiah Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. His life, death, and resurrection become theirs. Or in his words, I've been crucified with the Messiah, and it's not I who come back to life, it's the Messiah living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the reason anyone can say that they are right with God or belong to Jesus' covenant family, it's not because they obeyed the laws of the Torah. It's only because of what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. Now, this profound understanding of what Jesus accomplished, it has huge implications for who can now be included in God's covenant family and for what it means to live as a member of that family. So Paul first turns to the stories about Abraham in Genesis, how he was justified or declared righteous before God by simply having faith, by trusting in God's promise that one day all nations would find God's blessing through him and his offspring. God's purpose was always to have one large multi-ethnic family of people who relate to him on the basis of faith, not on the laws of the Torah. But that raises an important question. Why did God give the laws of the Torah to Israel then? Here Paul offers a very brief and dense explanation that he will later fill out in his letter to the Romans. He observes that the laws of the Torah were given to Israel at Mount Sinai long after God's promise to Abraham. And if you read the Torah carefully, he says, you'll see that God always intended the laws to be a temporary measure. He says the laws had both a negative and a positive role. Negatively, the laws acted like a magnifying glass on Israel's sin. They exposed how Israel shared in the sinful human condition, constantly rebelling against God's law. And so the law, which is good, ended up pronouncing Israel guilty and all humanity with them. Or in his words, the laws imprisoned everyone under the power of sin. But the laws also had a positive role. They acted like a strict school teacher that kept Israel in line until the coming of the promised offspring of Abraham, the Messiah. And once the Messiah came, he fulfilled the purpose of the laws on Israel's behalf. Jesus was the faithful Israelite who truly loved God and neighbor. And as Israel's king, he died to take the curse and consequence of Israel's failure into himself and bring redemption. And so now through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, God's blessing can come to all people regardless of their ethnicity, social status, or gender. 
For Paul, requiring Torah observance from non-Jewish Christians, it makes no sense. It's acting as if Jesus didn't fulfill God's promise or deal with our sins. It neglects the new freedom gained for us through Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, and it limits God's promise and blessing to one ethnic family. But, Paul's opponents might argue, the laws of the Torah, they're a proven guide to living according to God's will. How will non-Jewish Christians learn this? Paul responds in chapters 5 and 6 by describing how Jesus' transforming presence through the Spirit is the key. The laws of the Torah are good. They're wise, Paul says. In fact, they can all be summarized, as Jesus did, in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. But the laws, good as they are, they did not give Israel the power to obey them. In contrast, the good news is that Jesus did fulfill the laws on our behalf, and now he lives in us through the Spirit, making his people into new humans who fulfill the law by loving others. So Paul goes on to contrast this old and new humanity. The habits of the old humanity are obvious. These are behaviors that dehumanize people, they destroy relationships and whole communities. And while the laws of the Torah prohibited these behaviors, Jesus actually put them to death on the cross. So when a person trusts in Jesus and lives in dependence on the Spirit, his life becomes theirs and produces what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus' way of life that he wants to reproduce in his family so that they become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But this fruit isn't automatic, Paul says. It requires cultivation just like real fruit. Or in his words, if we live by the Spirit, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. This requires intentionality. We have to learn how to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. And as we do so, we find ourselves carried along by the Spirit as Jesus reshapes our minds and hearts and makes us into people who love God and others. And in this way, Jesus' people fulfill what Paul calls the Torah of the Messiah. In the end, Paul concludes, this requirement for Christians to become Torah observant or be circumcised, it's an adventure in missing the point. What really matters is God's new creation, this new multi-ethnic family of the Messiah, people full of faith in Jesus who are learning to love God and others in the power of the Spirit. And that's what the letter to the Galatians is all about. So as he was driving on this country road, and he was going pretty fast, like 35, 40 miles an hour, uh, he saw this chicken just jet past him at like 60 miles an hour and turn right, cut right. And the tourist said, man, I got to find out where this chicken is from. So he followed the chicken into a driveway, and there stood a local brada. Okay, he's a chicken farmer, I guess. But the tourist asked the local farmer, the chicken farmer, uh, you know, I just saw the fastest chicken in the world. You got to tell me what breed this is. So the farmer said, the local farmer says, you know, well, the thing is this, get me and my wife and my son, and whenever we cook chicken, we all fight over the drumstick. So what I did was I genetically modified the chicken to have three legs. The tourist said, man, that is brilliant. That is awesome. So uh, how does the chicken taste? The local brother says, I don't know. I still never catch the buggers yet. <laughs> Sometimes, no matter what our best efforts may be, uh, we always fall short of our objective. Um, it, something always seems to elude our grasp. 
Tonight, we are in the book of Galatians. Uh, last week, Pastor Marsha talked about 1 Corinthians and how Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians for rebuke and correction. Galatians is similar to that. You see, the Galatians received the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with open hearts and fervency. However, there were some false teachers and false teachings that they were adhering to. Mainly, they believed that not only by grace are you saved, but by keeping the works of the Mosaic law. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Mosaic law. It's good law, but the whole premise of the gospel is, you know, through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, do we have salvation? And they kind of veered away from that. Now, because they did that, condemnation and guilt and ungodliness set in. So Paul wrote this letter to the people of Galatia to correct them. Now, these people, they did not know it, but they were under a stronghold. A stronghold is something that holds them down. For them, it was they're trying to live up to a law which no person can ever attain. But for us, for you and me, how this applies to us in the book of Galatians, a stronghold may be something that we have struggled with our whole entire lives. Something, uh, the stronghold of, of depression, you know? You just can't seem to get yourself motivated. The stronghold of, of fear or anxiety, you know, um, the stronghold of addictions. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be food, it could be excessive shopping. These are all spiritual strongholds that you and I may have. And, and you know what? Tonight, we're going to talk about, from the book of Galatians, how to be set free, how to break the strongholds that bindeth. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, Holy Spirit, just, just come. Just speak through me into the hearts of every single individual who needs to hear your word. So we thank you, we praise you, and with expectancy, we believe that people's lives will be changed by the power of Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, <clears throat> I called the issues, if you noticed, I called them strongholds. The world has different clinical terminology to describe those strongholds that I just mentioned. They're called disorders or addictions. But tonight, we're looking at the Word of God, okay? And the Word of God says different. The Word of God says those things that bind you are not of the physical uh, or the natural realm. These things are spiritual in origination, okay? In 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but by divine power to destroy strongholds. You ever wonder why? It's so difficult to quit drinking or smoking or drugs. You've tried everything. You know, you've tried everything, but it doesn't seem to stick. It just eludes you. That freedom eludes you. 
You ever wonder why people still struggle with anger? They've been a Christian for years and years, but every once in a while when the conditions are right, anger just, just explodes out of you. Or depression, all those things, okay, are, according to the Bible, they are spiritual in nature. The reason why we've had no success in setting ourselves free from these things because we've been using physical and natural remedies, you know? So, you know, we, we pop that pill, you know, we smoke that spliff, and we get out the third or fourth credit card, and, 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 and you know, we, we seek the medical advice of Dr. Jack Daniels. None of it works. It may temporarily reduce the pain or the symptoms of, of the stronghold, but it in no ways pull out the root of that stronghold. So the only way we can be set free, we can break free from the spiritual strongholds that bind us, is if we address them spiritually. Spiritually. So you're going to need some spiritual weapons tonight, okay? You're going to need some, uh, some really, really sharp swords, okay? Because what, what's happening for us is when we try and deal and, and, and address our, our problems of spiritual nature, you know, those, you know those foam floaties? It's like we're, we're fighting with that thing. What we need is we need the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, okay? This is what we must activate in order for us, in order for God to set us free from those strongholds that bind us. <clears throat> you know, please don't misunderstand me, okay? Please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that something happened to you, um, you know, I'm not trying to minimize that, okay? Because most disorders, addictions, strongholds uh, usually start from some sort of traumatic experience. It usually starts from being a victim or witness of abuse, an alcoholic father or, or something like that. So those things happen to people. They happen to good people. But what I am saying is according to the word of God, it says we battle not against flesh and blood, but by things of principalities in high places or spiritual places. So what I am saying is the origination of that stronghold that you suffered with for so long comes from the pit of hell, and it also is being perpetuated by evil spirits, and that's the root of it. So tonight, we're going to address things spiritually. Now, the devil does not want you guys to hear this message. You might be distracted right now, I don't know, but the devil does not want you to know, because get this, if you understand and comprehend through the Word of God that these strongholds that bind you can be set free if you just activate the spiritual side, the Word of God, okay, then the devil will no longer have that button to push or that trigger to pull. And when the conditions are right, make you just go into crisis, okay? The devil, he doesn't mind if we come to church. He doesn't mind if we raise our hands in worship. He doesn't mind. But what he wants is this. 
He wants to have his finger on the button. Tonight, we need to break free from those things in Jesus' name. Point number one. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The scripture says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. You see, the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is uh, the one, per- one person of the triune nature of God, okay? By his nature, he is diametrically opposed to the th- desires of the flesh. It, they cannot coexist in the same plane, okay? The spirit leads to life and joy and peace, whereas, whereas the flesh leads to death and sin and destruction, Okay? So what we need to do is we need to learn how to activate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our daily, everyday lives. Okay? The Holy Spirit's function is very specific all, all throughout the Bible, but here's a few of his functions. He is a helper. He gives us the supernatural power available uh, only available through a godly life. He is our counselor. He will give you godly counsel, wisdom from heaven and the word, not just counsel from your BFF or your parents or even your church counselor. The Holy Spirit will give you divine wisdom and knowledge. He is our comforter. In those times when Nothing can comfort you. You've suffered through so much loss, so that the, the, your soul is so injured and hurt. Um, only the Holy Spirit has that ability to mend the septic soul that you may have and just heal you and comfort you. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. And finally, He is the Spirit of might and strength. See, as far as spiritual strongholds are concerned, and the enemy knows this, he stands no chance against the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me put it to you in a different way. Water, just regular water, at one atmospheric pressure or sea level, heated up to 211 degrees Fahrenheit is simply just hot water. That's all it is. But an extra degree, once you hit 212 degrees Fahrenheit, it forms steam. And steam can power a 300,000 pound locomotive. Okay? Our efforts to try and break these strongholds is 211. We were close, we, you know, we, we, we masked the symptoms, we, we numb the pain, we function in life, but there's no real breakthrough or freedom. It comes at 212, 212 degrees is where the Holy Spirit comes in, and there's power beyond comprehension. Because at 211 degrees, 
maybe you can steep and brew tea. That's about it. But at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, you can steam lao lao, baby. <laughs> uh, okay. So, we must pray for the Holy Spirit's power in our life. It should be a daily part of our prayer vernacular. When we say, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me, provide me the comfort and the strength and the wisdom to get through this day. Okay, we need to harness, we need to access Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we pray to Father God in Jesus' name, but sometimes we, let, we leave out the Holy Spirit. Let us, let us let that be part of our new prayers, okay? To include him and invite him to make radical change in our lives. Okay. Point two. You must empty yourself of yourself. Empty yourself of yourselves. Remember when um, the He is Greater Than I t-shirts and bumper stickers came out? I remember when they came out, and the <laughs> first thing I thought was, I, I, I thought was, I thought it was Hecky, because I didn't know what it was, yeah? So I was like, what is this shirt, Hecky? What, Chicken Hecka? I don't know. But it turns out that He is Greater Than I is based on the scripture from John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Now, this is a profound, profound principle that if we as Christians, as we as believers, can apply and start to practice, we'll see that amazing power, peace, presence, joy would, would, would flood our lives, whereas normally we struggle. And the reason why is this. And this is, okay, this is what I call biblical math, biblical math, a real simple equation. The amount of power, presence, and peace, and joy that you want in your life, okay, is directly proportionate to the amount that we choose and are willing to decrease, to empty ourselves to surrender and to deny ourselves the desires of the flesh. You, you, it, God can only fill us up this much if this much is still Jonathan, okay? He can only do this much. But if I empty myself, if you empty yourself of all of those things that are ungodly, sinful, bad thoughts, you know, whatever, then he's able to fill you with completely full to overflowing. Now, you know, when you think about him being greater and I being less, you know, he, he is greater than I, um, it's, it's a process. He must become. You don't, it doesn't happen overnight, okay? Every day we must empty ourselves of ourselves, and that allows God to move in our lives. It gives him more space to operate in our lives when we empty ourselves of ourselves. Point three. Point three. Carry your cross each and every day. Carry your cross each and every day. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Okay? You know, 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, when people saw the cross, they were terrified. They were terrified. Why? Because the Roman form of execution by crucifixion on the cross was the most cruel and painful death anyone could ever experience. Okay? But because of what Jesus did on the cross, his substitutionary sacrifice of his blood paying for your sin and my sin, the cross is a symbol and an icon of hope, of love, of, of freedom. Okay? So what we need to do, if we need to be true followers of Christ, is we must carry his cross every day. And how do we do that? We must remember what Jesus did on the cross, guys. It's so imperative that every day we don't take for granted the price that he paid when he hung at Calvary on the cross. We cannot lose sight of that. It cannot be just once a year during Good Friday or Easter that we remember the cross. If you want to break free from your spiritual strongholds that bind you, then carry your cross and remember what he did every day. And that's what carrying your cross means. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul is saying this in probably, this, honestly, this is my life verse right here. This is, this is my life verse, and it is such power because he's saying this. Paul is saying this. This life I live, this body here, all of my previous dreams and hopes, all of my accomplishments, all of my failures, all of my doubts, everything about this body is crucified. It's dead. It's dead. The life I now live in this body is all for Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else matters. In fact, he says in, 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 uh, he says in 2 Corinthians, 6, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom is in you? Whom you, have, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Paul says, hey, it doesn't, whatever happens to this, it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential what happens to this body because my whole life is all about Jesus. I live to serve and love Jesus. And to be crucified with Christ means to carry your cross every single day. Now, closing illustration. Those are the three points. Uh, you must, uh, you know, uh, seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, empty yourself of yourself, and you must carry your cross every day. Okay? These are the spiritual weaponry that you need in your arsenal if you want to be set free from whatever addiction or disorder you may be struggling with. 
Okay, that's, that's the spiritual key. And again, the devil does not want you to know this. He does not want you to practice this because he wants to keep you down. In a house, we all pay Helco, yeah, for electricity. We all pay Helco. And in our house, we have these uh, all over. This is a 110 outlet, okay? This is a 110 outlet. Common. You know, it powers a, a alarm clock, it powers radio, coffee maker, whatever, okay? Small appliances, this suffices, okay? Say you have a big electric water heater, or industrial dryer, or maybe a really, really big convection oven. This no longer has the power to sufficiently run that large item, that huge item, okay? It takes way more power than this is able to push out. What you need is a 220, a 220 Outlet. This is the plug of a 220, but you need a 220 outlet. A 220 outlet will give you double the power, and it will be able to power whatever large machinery you might have in your home. Okay. Now, let's go to the last uh, two scriptures, and I have it uh, one on top of the other. It's Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, and also the same verse we went over. Galatians 2.20. And I'm going to read 1.10 first. And remember, remember, 1.10 is these, all right? 1.10 is these. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay, remember, Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10, okay? In this scripture, Paul is saying this. If you try and please man, if you're a people pleaser, if you're doing these things by yourself, seeking the counsel and the power or whatever from other people, guess what? You won't have the power to break free from those spiritual things that bind you, those strongholds that bind you. But again, Galatians 2.20, that's where the power comes from. That's where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you are going to please people and that's going to be your aim and you're just doing things and operating in the physical, you will not have the strength. You will never be able to be set free from those things. It is only by the Galatians 2.20 of saying, Lord, I, my whole life is yours. I surrender all to you. Only at that point will you have enough power to break free. He is the 212 degree Fahrenheit. Okay? To break free from those chains, you need the power. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of surrender. And it's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jamie, if you could come to the, the keyboards. <clears throat> Um, you know, uh, t today is, uh, uh, I'm amazed that today I got scheduled to speak. Um, tonight is, uh, tonight is uh, January 20th, but actually I'm pre-recording this on January 14th, uh, the previous Thursday. And what happened was, you know, on January 14th, 2016, 
five years ago to the day. Okay. I did a Galatians 2.20, and I turned off the Galatians 1.10. It was at that point where I just totally said, my life is no longer my own. I give it up to you, Lord. Okay. So five years ago, that happened to me. And, I, and I, all, the, all the addictions and all of the strongholds that I mentioned earlier in this message, I speak from personal experience. I've been through all of those things. I tried everything humanly possible to be set free from those things. But I'm telling you now that once you allow God, and once you meditate in your mind, you articulate with your lips, and you activate in your heart, the spiritual nature, the Holy Spirit, and you just exalt Jesus every day, that's where the power to be set free from comes. Now, five years to the day, I employed what I taught you. I did what I actually taught you tonight, and I was set free. And five years later, there's a scripture that says, you know, he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you could ask or think of. Five years ago, I would never dream that I'd even be alive, to be honest, to tell you the truth. But God, in his mercy and his love for all of us, okay, his power is right there and available. Freedom, strongholds being broken and chains being shattered, is within your grasp in Jesus' name. You just need to address it spiritually. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for that sacrifice that you made when you hung on that cross and you, you spilled your blood and, and you were thinking about me. You were thinking about you, that person who's listening right now. Jesus was hanging on a cross and his mind and his heart was thinking about you. So Lord God, we, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to arm ourselves with spiritual weaponry that we may break free from the strongholds that bindeth us. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that you would show us by your Holy Spirit's guidance exactly what we must do. Show us in your word what applies to us in our own situation. And Lord, do so, Lord God, quickly. For the time is near, Lord God. We need you. Some of us have been struggling with these things for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So Lord, right now, we ask for your Holy Spirit and your divine intervention upon us. And for those of you who never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would invite you right now to say a prayer with me. I'll provide the words, you provide the heart goes like this dear lord jesus i admit and confess that i have fallen short in my life i need a savior i need to be cleansed and made whole i need a relationship with you please forgive me of my sins i proclaim you now as my lord and savior in jesus name 
So Lord God, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for your word and this exciting journey we're taking through the Bible, Lord God. We pray in Jesus' name for our nation, for our country, uh, for this world, Lord God, whatever is going on. We pray, Lord God, that uh, your presence and your direction, your power be upon the believers, Lord God, that we would be able to shine our lights in the darkest times. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for those of you who've just received the Lord, congratulations. It is the best decision you ever made. I would like you to do two things. Please, first of all, share with somebody that you received Jesus, anybody. Or you can click the button that says, I said yes, on whatever platform you may be on. Also, start, get yourself a Bible and start reading the book of John, the Gospel of John. It is the third book in the New Testament, the, the fourth book of the New Testament. Just get to know Jesus. Get, just get to know his character and his love for you. So uh, bid you farewell and uh, hope to see you guys on the, the internet, uh, the live stream or whatever on Sundays, 7, 9, and 11. God bless you and have a wonderful evening.